Welcome to Hollywood 2.0. This is Peter Katz. On today's show, my guest is Colin Wright. He's an entrepreneur, a full-time traveler, and an author of numerous books, including Curation is Creation, where he highlights the value a curator brings to the world. It could be anybody from a museum curator, a film festival programmer, or even your best friend who gave you that epic mixtape in junior high. We will discuss how a curator is even more important now than ever because the internet offers us unlimited options and we need a curator to make the best content available and to recontextualize these experiences. Why did you name your book Curation is Creation? It's something that I hear a lot. A lot of people uh, who are creators, people who make music or movies or who write, who are in the publishing industry like me, um, it, there's this kind of uh, – you kind of look down on the curators in a way or some people do and that they look at people who aren't creating anything, aren't taking their own photos, aren't creating their own music and you kind of scoff at it and say, yeah, that's really, really nice that you can – tell what's beautiful and then that you're regurgitating it for other people. And I think that's a simplistic view, honestly. I think that, sure, there are people who just take things and repost them and it doesn't add a whole lot of extra value, if any. Uh, it, it could be argued that it helps spread the word about things. But, but if you look at it as a creator, then it's easy to see why then maybe it doesn't seem like as much work and blood, sweat and tears is put into the effort as uh, actually creating something new. But if you do it correctly, if you do it intentionally and if you do uh, do it with the intent to say, um, uh, to make sense of complex ideas or to create connections between disparate things or disparate media, uh, to add additional metadata, to remix it into something new, to filter it, to, to archive something, to, to replenish something that's uh, falling apart like, like a, an archivist might do with books or somebody might do with uh, sounds that don't exist in the world anymore. They're archiving it on the internet. Uh, things like this are incredibly valuable and they're not creating anything new technically, but they're augmenting something that already exists by carefully cataloging and filtering them. So they're creating a new experience. Yeah, in a lot of cases, or, or in some cases, a, a new product or a new sound uh, in the case of remixing um, or, or like websites like Instagram, for example. Instagram is it's curating uh, the way that they they display photos you might like or somebody's Instagram feed if they're um, just reposting. Same with Tumblr, for example. Tumblr is a great place to uh, curate. Um, people on Tumblr, some people never post an original thing uh, ever, and they're still creating an experience for somebody that then creates this new thing in a way. It, it, it's kind of like uh, writing a book is taking words, it's taking letters, the same thing that everybody else uses it, but putting them in an order that only you can put them in. I, I like to think that curation done right is kind of the same thing. Because you could say that these words are are just squiggly lines if you don't understand the meaning but if you arrange them in the right way you know you create the sentence and a paragraph then you eventually build from that if you're mm -hmm. arranging photos or newspaper clippings you're, you're getting all sorts of things that uh, this fragmented they won't have meaning but you're creating the meaning out of organization 
Totally, exactly. And, and maybe for some audiences and not for other audiences. Uh, you, you could look at, you and I could look at the same Tumblr blog, for example, and one of us would love it and one of us would hate it and we're looking at the same thing. The same could be said of a book or, um, you know, an album, a music album or a movie. Uh, and, and I think that's okay, but I, I think that you're more likely to reach more people or to provide more meaning if you do approach curation uh, very intentionally. And if, and if you try to do it in a way that creates very little harm, ideally, because it could be done in a way, for example, that strips away the metadata so that the people who created the original content that you're curating don't get credit and that it doesn't reference back to them and you can't actually pull on that string and go back and see what the original components looked like. No, I mean, there's, there's dangers to that. And there's also, with online people, things move so fast, there's that long tail effect where we don't have the mega icons like we used to, to the same degree. I mean, we still have our Lady Gaga's or, you know, others, but it seems like instead of them, we have a thousand different versions of them, different shades of them. Mm. And because of that, the curator seems more important because of the massive amount of options that we have now. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, in addition to the other things that I mentioned, a great reason to curate is to be a tastemaker uh, or a kingmaker in a way. There, there's a lot of people who all they do is point at awesome stuff on the internet and then that person is suddenly internet famous and they're able to make a living off of what they were doing in isolation for so long. So uh, there's a lot of inherent benefits to this. And, and again, if you do it intentionally, it, it tends to happen more often that it's beneficial rather than detrimental. But uh, yeah, I mean, filtering through the deluge of media, <laughs> the deluge of information and data that we have is one of the massive challenges, I think, of the, the 21st century. And this is one way to do it. There, there's a lot of kind of algorithmic big data type of processes that you can use. But uh, something that the individual can do and something that reflects the individual's taste I think a lot more than an algorithm would is to go out and choose things and present them in, in a way that seems correct to you and then see how that resonates with people. It's interesting because we think about the idea where money comes from for supporting the arts. We're thinking about a few very affluent individuals or it's government supported, but now people in a way are curating with their money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's far fewer gatekeepers these days. So uh, these days, we're all gatekeepers in a way. And if we can spread the word about something that we consider to be good or valuable, then it's more likely that we can get them funded. It's more likely that we'll get to see kind of the, uh, the big budget type of media that we want to see because then we're able to share it with people. We're able to say, hey, check this out. See why this is cool. In the context of all this other stuff, here's why this thing that I think is cool is awesome. Uh, that it's, it's incredibly valuable. And as an ecosystem, uh, social media and blogging and all the things that aggregate around that, it's created this system now where we don't depend on one or two people and the taste of these one or two people. We're depending kind of on the taste of everybody along with their ability to convince others about why their taste is awesome. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hollywood 2.0. You can contact me on Twitter at PeterCats1. The song at the opening is Shame on Blue from Cecil Otter and Swiss Andy's mashup album Wugazi that combines Fugazi and the Wu-Tang Clan. If you dig the podcast, please uh, give me a good review on iTunes. 